Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday mornings, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, Boker Tov to you. Uh, you I'm sorry? I think. <laughs> Boker Tov, you think. <laughs> hey, it's a Kalbach special. Obviously, it's a great morning. Uh, it's, also, it's also a great morning for those of us who want to get to Israel uh, because, I mean, <laughs> you're going to say to us, rightfully so, Stay calm until we get the official, official, official word. But right now they're talking about vaccine people, vaccinated people from the United States being able to get into Israel starting November the 1st. Obviously, we know all too well how much that could change over the next few weeks uh, or over the next few days. But um, I I guess we'd have to say that it's a it's very encouraging news. Would you agree? I would agree that uh, the early reports and the committee that is charged with this um, has been working diligently to to try and make it happen. The, as I said, it depends on the statistics of the week, and they are going to require people to have a third shot and will have to be within, I think, six months right. in order to be valid. All right, so that's it. I mean, if those are the two things, then, uh, then that's hopeful news, and we'll see what happens. And uh, just to clarify what Malcolm just said, they literally are looking at things on a day, well, I guess like every country, on a daily and weekly basis, so things can change, but hopefully not. Also, the, the one other thing here is reading about a new variant that, that seemed to have been coming in from one place and now is coming in from multiple places into Israel. So obviously over the next few days they'll worry about that and be concerned about that as well. I, I, I was worried, Malcolm, frankly, as cynical as I am, I was worried that there'll be you know a vote to the full government, which has to happen, right? There's going to be a full government okay. vote. And that, and that, and that, what will delay the process will be will be what type of deals and machinations are going on behind the scenes because certain people for their votes are going to have some demands. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it could happen, you know. So anything can happen, but to write has to go for the full cabinet. Right. But people they know the frustration, and we've tried to communicate to them the the difficulty. People who have been out of Israel for two years, many people have children there. Right. Both studying for the year, but more importantly, living there or parents or others, and it's it's an unhealthy situation and really frustrating. So hopefully that will help. And it's interesting; we don't realize how lucky. Well, again, hasn't happened yet, but we in the long run we're probably going to say we don't realize how lucky we are because there are a lot of countries where Israel is not recognizing the vaccine from those countries. There are about a half a dozen countries that are red. More by the numbers, the statistics, like Russia and others that have the surge. But Europe is having, I think, a 7% surge right now, nice. which could put people, back, some countries back online. But Australia, for instance, has just lifted what has been almost a year-long, often on uh, lockdowns that have been going on there. And they've been very, very strict. And they still only allow 20 people in a synagogue and limited uh, in many ways. Most of the regular stores are still not open so it's uh you know the countries impose each one imposes their own rules dealing with the situation as they see it right and they all think they're making sense doing so and let's hope they are uh you're always um you're always into discoveries like this what was your reaction when you heard a 900 year old sword was found off the mediterranean coast well it's i mean as you know i get very excited by all of these discoveries but this one in particular um, and, you know, it was a diver, or just a person who was um, uh, diving not for professional purposes, but for his purposes and uh, for relaxation, and went down and, and along the coast where 
There are many ports, many inlets where ships would find safe haven and some where they would dock to unload uh, goods. And here he saw something sticking out. And because of the, the, the sand shifts there a lot, it covers over things quickly. So if there's a wave and it uncovers something, and there was other stuff there as well, um, uh, pottery and things that they, that they found. So they believed that this was a place where, which, which was used as a port of some kind during that period. And they, um, the sword itself is very long and uh, and wide and very heavy but and the guy felt that if he doesn't take it out right away it's going to get covered up but he turned it over to the antiquities authority and it's again um, it'll go into a museum someplace but it's in good condition and it's it's made of iron they believe and uh, encrusted you know with the, the sea stuff that uh, accumulates so I'm sure that we will see much more but there were a whole lot of things this week discovered people go and look at all the amazing things that uh, that were uncovered but this uh, but it's a, it's a good lesson for scuba divers that they can go off uh, the Carmel and see these uh, this crusader night I mean you could just start imagining the crusaders coming in there with their masks and heavy uniforms into the port it's unbelievable likely used by a crusader um, the whole thing is wild um Last week, I neglected to ask you about the visit of Angela Merkel to Israel, a, a sort of a swan song, a farewell tour, if you will. Yep. We, we never even discussed the new German government, I don't think. But okay, I mean, we had discussed it before the election. I don't think we discussed it in the aftermath. But anyway, um, and, and obviously it's an important issue. But my, my point is there are some who have been writing articles about the uh, a support that the EU, led by her, essentially, uh, has had for... Uh, uh, for uh, the Palestinians and those in um, uh, in Israel who are um, those in Israel who are the the EU providing uh, what do you call it supervisory groups watch groups you know the like what happens in Hebron etc and that that is a you know a uh, a negative um, a negative um, a part of her leadership, so to speak. The EU attitude toward Israel, and she was the leader at the time. What's your reaction to that? So, for one, Germany was generally more defensive than, uh, of Israel than the rest of, of Europe, and often stand, stood up and, and uh, at the UN and elsewhere, and especially within the EU um, discussions. Uh, most of the support comes, by the way, from the new Europe, from the East European countries, who have blocked a lot of the anti-Israel measures, Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Poland, others who have stood up at different times to stop the usual one-sided bombardment of Israel uh, that has um, become prevalent. But we've seen a shift where they have finally started to put the onus on the Palestinians, blaming them for the fact that there are no talks, blaming them for some of their actions, uh, the denial of human rights and free speech, uh, and, and most remarkably demonstrated by the way, in the last week by Sweden, which for seven years has had no contact, virtual contact with Israel, visits or things of that nature. And now they, they uh, the foreign minister was there, and um, this was a, considered considered a very important uh, step, and this comes right after the Malmo conference on anti-Semitism uh, the week before. It's a place where there's been tremendous amount of anti-Israel, anti-Jewish activity, uh, but it's clear that the outgoing Prime Minister, Stefan Lovin, has the desire to really build a different relationship, both domestically but also uh, with Israel. So it's not an all-one-sided story, 
but the um, you know the EU has not been a, a very friendly place for the a large part and giving money and subsidizing the PA and regardless of what uh, activities were going on I'm hoping that they will see a change there we work at it very hard to to moderate their stands and uh, this is it's, it's more and more critical and of course manifests itself over the issue of Iran but there too I think that there's a shift that they are reading the tea leaves now that everything Israel's been warning about that the events are passing them by that Iran is going to is breaking out and can cross a threshold where there is no return. And they keep this optimistic view that they can somehow get back into negotiations. But I think, well, we can talk about the Iran part of it uh, separately. Is, is this a vacuum that's going to be filled and we have to be careful who fills it now that she won't be the you know, leader of the EU, so to speak? Is, is, there, is someone vying for that position, especially vis-a-vis the foreign policy toward Israel? There are no great leaders that we see emerging in the world generally, but certainly not in Europe. Uh, Macron has played a more aggressive role. Uh, we saw that in regard to the Mediterranean and elsewhere, um, and even sometimes domestically, trying to undo a reality that exists there. But the the overall, there, there's no great leadership um, Boris Johnson was not part of the EU anymore. Is has demonstrated some courageous stance, but overall, I don't. I don't think that there's going to be a competition to replace. We'll have to see as the next generation of leadership. But you you see the fight in France where the extreme right and the extreme extreme right are, are picking up uh, votes, and uh, of course the extreme left, and that is something I think for ten years we've wanted on the show, telling people what the the divisions there when you lose the political center, which is essential. To choose, I think we need a stable system. We need the rule of law, uh, not these demonstration streets where you see these anti-Semitic manifestations. I'm talking about in France and in other countries. Right. Although a lot of what you're saying, I think you would agree, we should look at in the United States as well. Maybe not to the same degree. And it is the model for the right. United States. Right. That's my point: is that this right. is the early warning system, and that what happens, particularly in England, it comes here. What happened with Corbyn? You right. see the the, uh, the Labour Party. So we see elements in the Democratic Party. Right. Not Parallel. They didn't elect a leader who's like that, but but the warning systems about the shift in the political situation with the influx of immigrants, with the, all of the challenges that they face, should be an early warning system for us. With that in mind, am I right or wrong? I, I don't know why I'm inclined to say I, I don't know enough about this. I don't know why I'm inclined to say that in the most recent German election there was a discovery of the center more. Am I right about that? And it was there was uh, a move there, and by the way, the other place we had it most remarkably was in Morocco, which also again right. got no you know coverage when it's good news for us. But right. the king brilliantly has maneuvered the, the handling of the Muslim Brotherhood, which won a very significant uh, what they would call victory in the last election. This time, we're relegated, I think, to twelve seats and just completely shattered them, and uh, putting in people who are. Very moderate and pro Abraham Accords and pro, uh, you know, the yeah. United States. It's funny you mentioned it last week, and then I read about it in the aftermath of our conversation. And this is a this is real demonstration of leadership. Don't you wish? <laughs> don't you wish all leaders had the uh, 
you know, the gut. And the vision, you right. know, to be able to plan it ahead. And right. he said to them, you want the keys here, here are the keys. You want the Ministry of Education, because he knew they would fail. Right. But this way, the, the whole country saw it wasn't, he could have locked them out. Mm-hmm. But then they would have said, oh, you see, you shut them out, and it would rally support for them. You need a lot of confidence to behave that way. You need a lot of confidence, and uh, and he kept he kept the key uh, the key strings in his hands. Right. When Syria executes twenty four people because they believe wildfire activity was really terrorism, I mean, I know there's a rule of law, and I know certain countries do things differently than we do here. But shouldn't there be some international outrage? There should be, and they you know we have people being sentenced to death in Gaza for for. Uh, so it was included Israel. You have people being sentenced to long, very long prison terms in in the uh, by the PA because he sold land to Israel to a Jew. That's the charge, and, right. and openly admits it. But also, many people sense that the truth is that they haven't carried out many executions in in the PA. You have to get permission by the by Abbas to do it. In the in, you know, on the other hand, in Gaza, they have carried out executions and often doing it to deter people. But it's a good way to get rid of your political opponents too, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> when, when it's huh? convenient. <laughs> um, and in Syria, they have they they have executed. You have. Extra judicial and judicial. You have the courts that rule it, and so one second, all of these if, extremists if, carry it out on their own. So, if Assad did not have the 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 ramped up opposition that we're reading about, you're saying he, they may behave differently toward these people. Is it is it the opposition that he has that's fueling this desire to to literally physically remove people? No, that that has been there uh, generally. I mean, even when that's their MO, before the conflict, right. they they executed people right. that they accused of quote collaboration, right. and it's hardly defined, and and the proof is uh, is very slim. You had the arrest in Turkey this week. I think of fifteen people who yeah. they accused Arabs that they accused of being spies for Israel. So is it true or Turkey. not? Is it true or not? Yes, it is true, true. or not. No, but seriously, like, I mean, it, and it's funny, when I read this story... Because they won't confirm it, but, but no, the I reports get, from no, people no. inside the country are that they that they made these arrests. We'll know more soon, but, uh, right, but, but it's still new. But what, it's but what's, new story. No, no, I get that, but what struck me about the whole thing, and this was, when I read it, I said, this is what I have to ask you about, just from our point of view... I guess the average regular, you know, Israel lover may not realize just how extensive the Mossad network is in foreign countries. I, I just, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that there could be that extensive an operation. But I guess you would say not, none of this should surprise us, right? None of this should surprise you, right? And but nothing. I mean, it, obviously, it's not the Mossad alone. That the intelligence operations of uh, countries in the region and particularly Israel more efficiently. Right. How do they pinpoint spots in Iran? It's a lot of it done by satellite. Right. can be done by drones. can be done by other means. Right. But you don't know about the movement of troops, for instance. You don't know about what's going on in terms of attitudes in the country. I mean, I speak to people inside Iran, and we, we learn a lot. And it's not military information, but knowing what the economic conditions, how the levels of unrest, the... the um, um, and in particular, in the case of Turkey, it would sound feasible because you have a lot of uh, activity on the border with Syria, and the situation in Syria is very critical. Again, we don't talk about it, but you have the movement uh, in, of Iranian troops, and Israel demanded that Russia pull them back now in, in the discussions that Bennett had with Putin. When, the, was, when was that, by the way? Like a, like a day ago? Yeah. yeah. Just Wednesday, I, think. I don't even know what this is. And that, <laughs> and, and that was Israel or Russia? In Israel or in Russia? It was in Sochi, in oh, uh, yeah. Russia. 
but but the, the point was uh, I'm sure there was one that the <laughs> uh, um, uh, you know the 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 level of of um, sophistication of of stuff that that everybody is uh, right. is confronting. There was a serious bombing in in Syria right. of a bridge uh, in which fourteen soldiers were killed and many many more were injured. And it's believed that this will be an escalation, perhaps, to drag Russia and Turkey into a military confrontation. You had uh, other explosions, I won't go through all of them, but each of them is related to the assessment of the situation. And people, you need intelligence, you need on-the-ground, and as much as all of the other means are relevant, you know, the observation. And that's why the drone's ability to be an eye in the sky on on a lot of stuff. But nothing like good (laughs) old-fashioned... In person intelligence. Well, that's particularly true in places like uh, Yudin Shomron and others, where if you don't know what's really happening inside a village, right. which you don't know what's you know the movement of some weapons or things like that, and and we know that there, there's a weapon movements. By the way, Iran has cut the number of troops from twenty thousand to ten thousand for financial reasons. They've also moved away from where we've reported often that you know how they bombed the, the airport in Damascus, Israel because they were transshipping stuff for, for Hezbollah and for their militia in Syria. And now they uh, they moved it to T4, it's an Air Force base, but further away from Israel, and hoping that that would cut back on the number of strikes. But the uh, So you need a, a lot of intelligence for that, and to be pinpointed and to not have civilian casualties as much as possible, and to be able to prevent... Because now you, you have a different situation when you have 200,000 missiles around Israel. Increasingly, they all have now these precision guidance systems. They used to have that they would fire 40 rockets, and one or two would hit somewhere near the place. Now they have these guidance systems, which I hear you can buy off the shelf, um, and, and they manufacture them themselves or they get them from uh, other sources like Iran to to uh, make them a much more deadly uh, weapons. Unbelievable. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSiegel.com, and the AlchemSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. So let me tie up two things on this before we move on. The first is, I mean, you're alluding to it, and, I'm, I mean, I don't think there's a reason you're not openly saying it, just, just to clarify I mean, if in fact the Turkey example is a good example, we'd be. I think what you're trying to say is we'd be surprised just how much cooperation Israel is getting from other countries' intelligence agencies. I'd have to believe the United States is involved as well in countries like that, right? Meaning, meaning there's a really large network of the good guys, probably led by Israel because they're the most efficient at this. I would assume, um, and and therefore that makes this operation even larger than I would expect, right? I mean, I'm assuming. The operation against the ones that were arrested, yeah. you mean? Yeah, or in, ge- in general, the intelligence and spy system that Israel and other countries have in places like Turkey. I mean, right. I mean, I would guess it's just a tremendous level of cooperation. There is cooperation, and but in the case of of Turkey, you know, you have Turkey, Iran, Russia fighting inside Syria against each other as much, and keep maneuvering, and they switch parties and and allies in all of this, and of course, Russia and China, generally within the, in the region, but. You know the, the Turkey's naval harassment of Greece, Cyprus. It's it's not limited to to one area where Turkey is active in doing naval drills all over the Mediterranean in the last couple of weeks and live fire drills in the Aegean Sea. And again, people don't 
reported, and this is despite the fact that Greek and Turkey have been having these bilateral meetings in Ankara to, to de-escalate the, the tensions, and they turn back each other's ships. I mean, we saw that Turkey turning back um, a research vessel that was uh, Greek Cypriot. Uh, so there are provo- provocations going on all the time, and if you don't know exactly how much of a maneuver when the war games take place, when Saudi, when the Iranians moved all the troops to the border with uh, Azerbaijan, if you don't know exactly what's happening, and uh, to, to know in time, you could face a very serious escalation that you can't even respond to. Right. And drones, you know, have changed the situation right. a lot, and. Uh, Iran is specializing in the drones because to make up for their uh, deteriorating air force, but they're also doing a huge maneuver this week where they're having uh, many of their planes, um, many of them dated planes too, but they're out there flying, uh, I think, in response to the big exercise that took place in Israel where the U.K., Germany, United States, others joined uh, Israel in probably the biggest um, exercise of that kind and the biggest problem might be and i don't know how you do this is you need a scorecard just to keep track of who's you know who's enemy on a specific day uh and whose interests um you know someone's going after on a specific day it reminds me by the way of the the iraq story that i just saw i think it was a new york times story that you know this guy who's president of iraq who was one of the greatest enemies of the west is now you know in a reverse role where they're hoping that he'll help stem the tide against iran and I guess that's politics, right? That's that's, that's yeah, the first of all. And you not only do you need a scorecard, you need a revolving scorecard <laughs> right, exactly. so that you can keep track of everybody. But you know, we see that the um, the efforts in each country and each one, you know, everything is so complex. It's it's almost impossible to to keep track of who's angry at whom over what. You know, that you see the Russians and Iranians talking about joint. Uh, military uh, cooperation and exercises, and why? Because Russia wants to make arms sales mm. after they lift sanctions. So they're training the Iranians to use the Russian weapons, so that they'll sell them the Russian weapons uh, afterwards. And the um, and you have so many uh, things like this. But to us, to the to people who really follow it in, in detail, these are all very important. When you have the Russia and I mean Saudi Arabia and Iran competing, so and competing also for people in each other's countries, the, the Saudis to the Sunnis in Khuzestan and the Iranians to the Katif region in Saudi Arabia. And at the same time, they're having talks. But we know that the talks are not really serious and not going to, at this point, produce any result. Yeah. Um, if, in fact, Israel is responsible for Salah's uh, murder this week, or assassination, I should say, murder is probably the wrong word, um, the, uh, it, what's the story here? Is the story that it's unprecedented because the sniper was actually in Israel and was still able to kill him while he was in Syria, or there's more uniqueness to this? Well, the, the technical part of it, you know, is really... It's impressive. For, for, <laughs> it's impressive. And, you know, it's like the story in Iran where they show, and did the, the, the big story in the New York Times about how right. they had a remote gun that right. was able to shoot it, and there are people who deny it, and people who say, well, it was, that was only part of it. It was much more sophisticated than that. Right. Uh, so this this was important. This is a guy who sat in Israeli jail, jails for more than a decade, uh, was the point man for them on the Golan and his elimination obviously is very critical, and it's it is not true. People uh, that some say, oh well, they you know you knock off one, you'll get two. You get it's not true. You can't replace 
these guys who have a lot of experience, who are often leaders, I know Hamas, Hezbollah, they've all had problems when, Israel, when somebody eliminates uh, some of their leadership or they get killed in fighting. They can't readily fill that void. So it does make a, a big difference. Oh. And Oh, and it's I, a message as well. No, I get that. But I was wondering if the uniqueness of this was just how impressive it is that he was able to do this at this distance and with such precision, or if there's more to it. The Arab, uh, the Arab, um, uh, the Arab angle on this is that 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 this shooting could be, you know could begin a new phase in the Israeli campaigns. I'm wondering if it's just a technical thing, as we mentioned, or if there's more to it than that, because obviously Israel has been doing this type of activity for quite a while. Yeah, they have done it. Look, Israel faces certain restrictions now in Syria about where they can fire from. You know, the Russians have the anti-aircraft systems, and they don't usually activate them, or, or the Syrians sometimes do fire missiles at the is coming Israeli uh, um, planes. Uh, but, you know, sometimes those rockets that are fired, for instance, we discussed the one, remember, that flew over yep. Israel? Yep. That wasn't a mistake. <laughs> no, it was real. It was a test. They're testing Israel's ability to, to deal with a low-flying incoming missile. And, um, and you know, people missed the real message. They thought they were aiming, for, for to, they were aiming to show that they can reach Demona. But the point was to do it as a, an exercise from which they gather information about Israel's defense system. You know, with that in mind, if I could turn to your political uh, science acumen, I mean, what should we here on this side of the world be thinking when China surprises the United States with a hypersonic missile test? So one is, did we know and how much did we know about it? They said now they're playing it down, of course, the Chinese, but it was very significant in the fact that they could circle the globe. And, yeah, uh, that's unbelievable. But there are methods that are being developed that will could address that. Um, and it, it is uh, the fact that it can carry a payload and, and hit a target that the level of sophistication, I think, caught people off guard. And it raises questions, again, it's about intelligence, about how much do we know with the fact that they've been launching from submarines, water, uh, underwater uh, launches, that they've been launching from a, a, a railroad car, which gives them greater mobility. And uh, all of these are more and more sophisticated expressions of their abilities. And, and sometimes they reveal it just to, as a response to what the U.S. is doing in Taiwan or American military presence. Uh, Russia turned back an American ship where the China and Russia were doing a joint exercise exercise recently in the Sea of Japan. Uh, there are confrontations go on and again the press generally doesn't even I was just gonna say mention. I was just gonna say with all the frustration we have about the press not covering certain things, it's outrageous that this story didn't get more attention in the United States. And frankly it's outrageous the White House didn't react stronger than they did. Yes, to, to this and that, but yeah. it's just such a flood of things that uh, are going on. Um you know, why isn't the story of selling land to a Jew means you get a 15-year present term, not a sign right. of what is a racist regime and, and of the horrendous laws that Hamas sends to the death and to the hard labor, as you mentioned before? Yeah. What coverage does it get? What, what interest is there? And more and more, you know, this withdrawal, people don't know, and then ignorance dictates what, what your response is. Yeah, I hear it. Uh, when the sun man turns to the public, not... Government. Yeah, of course. When the Sunrise Movement uh, wants to toss three Jewish groups out of their um, voting rights rally uh, movement, we have to understand this is a <laughs> this is where it's where it starts. I mean, all these all these things, whether it be BDS 
uh, legislation in different states, whether it be you know boycotts that are called for in some of the universities uh, in the United States against Israel. Uh, and now this, you know, no matter what, even when we think we are part of a group and a movement, we are always going to be outsiders. And they're, they're always going to use the opportunity, if we don't push back, to uh, to isolate us. It is true, and people who dismiss and say, if they don't want us, we shouldn't be there. But the fact is that you set standards and that you then other organizations replicate it, and it then it justifies to these extremists and the haters, um, the anti-Israel Semites, um, to to expand these activities. That's why Zionists was was created by the liberal community as a response to being excluded from the women's march that time, and have done a, a good job to keep the presence and to to counter it and to to try to appeal from the left to to people about Israel. We we don't want to write off major segments of the community. I'm not talking about the the most extreme elements, but all of those who are attracted to an event, and then that be, that message permeates it and becomes a standard. And I think it's it's very important that the, the protests, which you'll hear today and others that are going on about it, um, continue. I know that people will say, well, who cares about the cause, whatever the cause is, this one or any other. The answer is that once you let that standard be established, you're, you're enshrining BDS, you are making it this, the uh, a justifiable standard for, for organizations, and it could be just that a couple of the leadership and the people themselves don't know. This is a test. When they find out, what do they do? I feel bad because a lot of people, especially those who are who were innocent bystanders in different unions for the last many decades and, you know, were just part of these, uh, whether it be... Uh, uh, teachers unions or work unions, whatever it might be, every time one of these uh, proposed statements, resolutions, etc., comes up, they have no they have no choice but to be on the front line and battle it. And a lot of people honestly don't have the you know the the right tools to 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 go to battle for Israel. And who would expect that they ever have to do it in that type of forum? Um, but all we could do is encourage people to you know stand strong and uh, and uh, oppose it as, as best as possible. Uh, I heard this week Sheikh Mohammed Alisa, my pleasure to host also in part, the head of the World Muslim League, probably the foremost Muslim leader in the world, speak at YU, speak at other places, met with Holocaust um, survivors, and spoke out publicly in such forceful terms about the cost of anti-Semitism to everyone, why Muslims have responsibilities, certainly Christians and others, to stand up against it. And, you know, there are hopeful signs. We see that in some of the countries... Uh, uh, signs of a decrease in anti-Semitism, but th- there's a new study which, again, will get no coverage. Uh, it's a pan-European Action and Protection League surveyed the prejudices, anti-Semitic prejudices in 16 European countries, and on average, it, and what's interesting is that those that were most pro-Israel often had the strongest anti-Semitic prejudices uh, expressed, right. and Poles, Hungarians, Slovaks, Austrians accepted anti-Semitic statements at the highest rate in Europe as opposed to very few in Netherlands, Sweden, UK, uh, and less of response. But sympathy for Israel was given at about a third, and at more than a third supporting that uh, that Israel is an important ally. But the, the high level of, of responses, uh, of hateful responses, negative responses, uh, is very is very disturbing, and and it's a trend that continues. We are seeing real efforts. Uh, Egypt did it. Saudi Arabia did it. Others in the Arab world to change their textbooks to reduce the uh, anti-Semitic stuff. Although there are still manifestations in the media. 
Uh, and finally, the Islamic Jihad prisoners' um, hunger strike is over. Th- that was strictly about conditions in Israeli prisons, or was it a bigger political movement? Well, immediately it was because of the, the conditions, but obviously it always has a broader agenda. And, and this fight, or fist fight, or almost fist fight between an Arab member of Knesset and an Israeli member of Knesset is a really telling episode. People, people should really look at that as a macro and not a micro episode. I assume you agree with that. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. It got a lot of coverage, and obviously people, because of their cell phones or whatever, get right. footage of everything. I don't know whether it was an intentional provocation in response, but, um, you know, it, it's not helpful in the long run. No question about that. Or short. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak you again too. next week. Malcolm Holmline. God willing is right. Yes, let's make it through another week, please, God. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern time here at JM in the AM.